This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. No, am I doing this right? I don't know. <laughs> why am I? Why do they have a massive brain hemorrhage? I don't know. What What are we talking about? Yeah, this is the right one. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong thing. That's why I was getting so confused. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle, and I'm Dave, and I'm the Machine. You're recording these now. So I should wave yes. at the camera. So wave at the camera. This might be going up on YouTube. As if, I don't know. We're already on YouTube, but that's a whole other debate we'll yeah. have later. This is a podcast, of course, where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, though we do talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today we're going to be watching the film... The Secret of Nim. Aurora and Don Bluth Productions present a classic adventure in motion picture entertainment. I must tell you about Nim. Look there. It's a fantasy with wizards and villains. <laughs> And heroes. I ain't scared of nothing. I'm not even afraid of the great owl. Will you hush up? Come on. It's an odyssey. I should have, I didn't say this in, in the opening. Of course, we are trapped here in the year 1982. Right. So that is why we're talking only about the, the films conceit. of 1982. Okay, yeah. And we should give a big thank you, of course, to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue the show since, you know, the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. Uh, Dave, have you decided yet? Are you ready to tell the people what movie it is that we're going to be watching over on the Patreon? You had two choices to make. Right. Have you made your choice? Yes. Uh, choice number one. Was The Hospital. And the second choice was Punishment Park. Yeah. Good. Yeah. What's... Okay, what so is we it? still haven't decided. Is no, we'll do, we'll do one. I chose it. Okay, you did not. Okay, we're going to do The Hospital. So we're going to talk about Palichewski and that over there. 1971. Sounds all that good great. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, of course, we have a huge, rich backstory to our show. I think that's partly why people tune into this each and every week oh, about yeah. this rich fiction that our podcast is. just creates. wondering, how do we come up with these ingenious plot devices? Mm -hmm. And the answer is... Can't possibly be me just making up total <laughs> bullshit after we push record. No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to all come together. It's all yeah, going to come you know, together. We, we, we've, we've traveled through space and time. We were on a spaceship for a while. We're now running away from DDS, DDS mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. maniacal woman who stole our arcade out from underneath us. And we're now on the lamb, so to speak. It's like the it's 1920s. Yeah. 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 We're on the lamb. You won't catch me, kappa. I'm still tinkering away here because we are in this old abandoned cabin in the woods oh, yeah, we're in the bayou yeah down by the bayou yeah just taking i think i'm gonna make this i, I, I made this kind of uh additional add-on here to the cabin i think you probably noticed it here throughout the week i'm gonna make a sauna i think a, I'm gonna sauna, make a sauna in the swamp mm -hmm. it's getting colder it's that's getting colder fucking disgusting okay yeah we need more bacteria in our life that sounds great <laughs> yeah so uh okay so we're gonna we're gonna sauna well the unfortunate part too dave and you know how terrified i am are 
the mice and vermin mm-hmm. that are running around in, here in the forest yes. and particularly desperately to sauna rats as the, the sauna epide- rats. yeah that's that's a known thing wait a second i think that's our second great business idea <laughs> sauna rats you go to a sauna Do you need and more rats? rats yeah pulling putting the water on the hot stones for you well, they'd have to be pretty enlightened kneading your back for you yeah yeah i mean they've got tiny hands they'll get right in there just get into the yeah. nuances of the knots every nook and cranny how have you two survived this long uh, Dave, I thought it would be appropriate. I don't want to spend like a huge amount of time on this before we get into like our backstory and then talking about the movie here this week. But because we are talking about an animated film this week, The Secret of Nim, as we're recording this, it was the D23 Expo this week where Disney announced essentially all of its new big things that are going to be coming out here in the upcoming years and months. Like it's literally Disney 23? That's what D23 stands for, yes. What is 23? I don't know what the 23 stands for. I should know that. Why? Nobody should know that. It's stupid. I, I, but that's just what their conference is called. It's called D23. Oh, is it? Does it change every year? So like D for no, 2023? No, no, no. It, the 23 is a reference to something, oh. and now I just don't remember what it is. I'm not even going to Google They're it. They're gearing up actually to celebrate their 100th year as a company. So Great. that's actually... Good for them. Good for them, Hey, I was I talking guess. about this with Helen this morning. Is Walt Disney still on ice? Uh, well, that's the ice capades that they do every year. No, yes. I'm saying, is is he still frozen somewhere? That was, I think, I think, an urban legend. Okay. Nothing that ever was actually true. so creepy, right? The idea that there's this block of ice with like a broken down human <laughs> Human, mess. a desiccated corpse. Right. You know, like yeah. things with water expand when they're frozen. So he's not a human being anymore. Like if they oh, no, saw no. that, if he, that's a if gel. He comes back, if he comes back, he's just like this machine here next to us. He's going to be this scary automaton and he'll be like, uh, no Jews. And then he'll be wow. like yelling at people. Wow. Read up on the history no, of Walt Disney then. I'm just saying that came out of your mouth, Kyle Marshall. That came out of your <laughs> I'm mouth. Just, <laughs> I'm just repeating what he said in closed cabinet meetings. But with this D23 Expo, you were texting me in a fury last night about mm-hmm. things that they were announcing. That's right. I didn't realize that's why. I was just trying to find something to watch. And then, you know, that scrolling, mm-hmm. I don't know, images came. Banner ad. And I was like, what is all this garbage? So I clicked on each one of the trailers and I got more and more upset at the lack of quality. See, that is on you though, Dave. For me, I'd, be, I'd just be like, yeah, I'm not going to watch any of this. And you're like, well, I have to watch all this terrible trailers. Well, that's why we have clickers. If you don't, have, you don't mm-hmm. click with the clicker, what's the point of having something that clicks? Yeah. What was the thing that maybe caused you the most consternation oh. the more scrunched dave face as i like to say oh, no. i don't remember it i blocked it let's let me just do a quick let me do a quick swipe mm-hmm. secret invasion percy jackson Andor, disenchanted werewolf by night tales of the jedi willow dancing with the stars hocus pocus 2 national treasure the santa clauses big show yeah. proud family okay so the only thing i'm interested in was the mysterious benedict society is actually a very good show so they're doing season really? two yeah and the book's actually quite good so uh, that one looks good, and everything else can uh, basically go fuck itself. And I thought I was pessimistic. It, it's just fascinating to me, because c- c- we are talking about 1982. Boy, was 1982, really the late 70s until the late 80s, is such a weird time in Disney history. And I, I understand we're not talking about a Disney movie, although Disney does come into play yes. in the making of this movie. Yes. But it was such a weird time for American animation, where... The biggest company 
when people think about animated films, I still think Disney is probably the first thing most people in America think about. They are basically just throwing things against the wall and trying to see if any of it is going to work or stick. Is, They're trying some live action stuff. They're trying... Is this Michael Eisner already? Stuff. 82? Uh, Michael Eisner had not come in yet. Okay. No, he's basically what revolutionizes yeah, it in the late 80s. I was going to say, I thought he, he steadied the ship, whether we like yeah. the material or not. Pretty sure Eisner is still a paramount at this time, actually. But like they were going dark. Like If you watch most, even of the Disney stuff, we're talking... The Rescuers, The Fox and the Hound, The Black Cauldron, uh, The Great Mouse Detective. These are not like light and like a bunch of song and dance numbers. Like none of, I don't think even though any of them have songs in them, actually. Now that no, I, think I don't about think it. so. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to push it that way. There's these other companies coming in that are trying to supplant Disney because they see that it's kind of a bit rudderless yep. at this time. And you get this, like The Secret of Nim and uh, God. American Tale. <laughs> And, American uh, Tale. That's another Don Bluth movie. Yeah. We might be watching another one called The Last Unicorn soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Last Unicorn. So a little bit more like darker, I would say, maybe not necessarily specifically kid, like young kid, but we're getting into like a older teenager, kid, teenager ish areas. Is that still a thing? Yeah. Maybe what is YA is a better. Mean? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, really. You're either an adult I'm, or not. All of adults read YA. So <laughs> actually, honestly, I'm pretty much you do. psychologically a young adult child. Often I've been called. I'm bringing this all up to say is that even in this time period where it's like, we don't know what we're doing. I think that what I respect is that they were trying something. Mm. And nowadays it also feels like they don't really have a clear path. Maybe I'm just not seeing what they're trying to do. And they still make billions of dollars. So I, I guess they can't be wrong necessarily. They're wrong, but we're dumber as a species because we you keep so? giving them money for this crap. Look at this, like a sequel to Enchanted. Why? That's such a great movie. Why are we, co- why are we going Adams back? Adams deserves to have a good movie, Why Dave? are we going back, Kyle? Why are we going? She's not going to get her Oscar for this. It's just no. not going to happen. She should have got her Oscar for the first Enchanted. It was it was very good. Uh, Secret Invasion. I'm kind of tired. I don't know. I'm just saying it's upsetting. Well, I don't know. Like the, the, the whole sequel thing, I have less of an issue with, although that is becomes a problem if that's all that you're producing. So I am somewhat excited for... for uh, Disenchanted, the sequel to Enchanted. I just watched Pinocchio last night. Maybe why? this is why it's top of mind. Why? Live action Pinocchio. And um, what, the one positive thing I will say, Robert Zemeckis, for as long as it's been since he's made a good movie, at the very least, I feel like I'm watching a film <laughs> when he directs it, which is more than I can say for some of the other live action movies I watched, where like, I haven't, this is just... This is nothing. Oh, you're talking about like, the, just a- the adaptations of the Disney live action Yeah, stuff? for time, okay. like the live Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, they're all or, garbage. Yeah. Uh, all the other ones. It's just yeah. like, ugh, ugh. So there's some, technologically, I think Zemeckis understands how to shoot a scene. Okay. Outside of that, this has no reason to exist. And that, that, that's my problem with it, is that if you're going to say, we have to make a live action version of this classic animated film, I'm not even the pe- person who says, like, that intrinsically is a bad idea. It, it is intrinsically a bad idea. Okay. Yeah. Intrinsically, <laughs> okay. For, for David, it's intrinsically a bad idea. For Just me, it's like, it. we have to envision then how this is going to work as an adaptation. Because the biggest problem that I think I fully understood last night is, like, you were taking something that was conceived as an animated property, right? So you can be surrealist. You can have people's faces contort. Uh, you can have these painterly backgrounds. When you try and bring that in and be this is realistic, this fish, this cat, the fox, and the other creature that's walking around, it doesn't, doesn't work, work. Because it, you're now making it photorealistic. And so you can't actually have that expression 
that you could use in the animation. Okay, you're gonna make it live action, but then conceive of why it needs to be in live action and how you're going to approach this material rather than just being like, well, we have the original script. We're just gonna do that again. Weird trap is I think that these production companies don't realize that it's lazy because it costs a lot of money and they have to hire mm -hmm. big name directors and actors. So they think it's like a really big project, but it's creatively lazy. And that's why there's no resonance. I mean, you can adapt the Lion King. I mean, it is itself an adaptation. If you're going to make it live, right? I, I just, I hate humanizing animal face. This is why all those Golden Retriever movies went to VHS, right? The, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. We got to let that go. You know? Wow. Incredible journey slam over here by, <laughs> by Dave. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, and to your point, Dave hates Airbud. Is what he's trying to say. He loathes that dog. Honestly, I do. Yeah. There's no rule that says you can't hate him. You know, I love animation because it is so extreme, and you can do things mm -hmm. that transcend or surpass uh, human emotion to make these themes, you know, very visible. In great movies, we do need to rely on a director and actor to be able to pull that out of something actually that's very common, which is like the human face. We see human faces all the time. So why do we believe some right. movies uh, we can get into a character more than another? But I, I just, I don't know. I, Helen really wanted to watch the Guy Ritchie Aladdin. I made it like 10 minutes and I just, and like, I was nope, sighing nope. and I was like eye rolling. I was asked to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> I ruined the experience for my family. One of her three wishes was for you to leave her the vicinity. GTFO. <laughs> I don't think... A bit of nostalgia is a bad thing. It's essentially what Disneyland is built on, right? But the reason why I, and maybe you, but definitely I, have nostalgia for Disney is that I grew up at a time where, hey, I did get to see Pinocchio and Snow White and that kind of stuff in theaters because they were re-releasing it. Clamshell VHSs. And then on home video. <laughs> yeah, and there's huge, gigantic clamshell VHSs. Yeah. But I was also watching... The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, The, the Lion stuff. King, Hercules, yeah. all this stuff that was coming out that made me like, oh, I like this stuff. I want to go and watch that movie again, buy it on video, go and see the ride, that sort of thing. Now it's like, we're just going to give you that again. And I re-released it, but now it's in live action. Now this thing. And now we have a movie called Wish about like, this is how the wishing star came to be. And like, I don't care. Like, what? <laughs> just make a movie that I like that I then will have nostalgia for as I get older. Yeah. If we get past my cynicism, maybe they are doing that. I don't know. Like, I just, uh, this is not Disney, but I, I just rewatched, right? The Spider-Verse. And that movie's going to hold up. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. So, um, so there are companies, like even big production. I mean, that's Sony. That's not like some indie company. Um, no. But, you know, following that, Mitchell and the Machines, which is fun, will not attain that status for whatever reason. So, you will... Uh, smarter film people may be able to discern the difference between those two films. But, you know, original content's out there. Disney, for whatever reason, and Marvel, they make original superhero films, but they don't feel original. They're tied Not to anymore, something. No. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Uh, you and I disagree, but I actually liked Thor, but I think Ugh. I liked it because everybody told me it would be shit. And then when you watch it, almost like a TV show, it's like I can understand the jokes instead of I pay $15 for this shit and like, you know, so it's weird. There's a, yeah, there's something yeah. going on out there. Coming off of our conversation last week where you chastised me for thinking that puppet movies could make a resurgence. Right. We should probably talk about our history with this movie specifically, but I wanted to start with Don Bluth. 
Dumbluth is the director of this movie and is a pretty big name in American animation. So if you get into learning about the history of animation in North America, you will come across Don Bluth, especially in the 80s. I think that was his biggest heyday was in the 80s. Yes. And even to this day, because he is still alive at 80-something years old, he is adamant of trying to bring back hand-drawn animation into the mainstream. And I applaud him because I'm like, I don't know, I think that ship may have sailed, unfortunately, because I love hand-drawn animation quite a bit. What do you think about Don Bluth? What's your history with Don Bluth? Oh, just for hand animation. If Studio Ghibli is giving up on it, <laughs> it's time to just <laughs> let it go. Because uh, Don Bluth made some great films, but Studio Ghibli made better ones and they're even going computers. Um, yeah, Miyazaki has that single tear running down his <laughs> cheek because he... <laughs> He straight up has said three uh, CGI movies are garbage. Yeah. Like he, well, he, made, he does not like them. I mean, he brought into Ponya, but that's a whole other thing. Um, hold on. Let me just look at his filmography quickly. Land Before Time, not the sequels. Garbage. All Dogs Go to Heaven is actually a pretty good movie. Um, mm -hmm. I actually liked Anastasia. I don't know. Am I crazy? Yeah, Anastasia's fine. I like Titan AE. Matt Damon. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a good movie. Uh, the other ones are fairly forgettable, and I've seen all of them. Oh, Rock really? Doodle, Pebble and the Penguin, Troll in Central Park. No, I haven't like, seen nobody's any Nobody's seen those movies, but I have. No, I haven't heard of Bartok the Magnificent. That was a straight-to-video thing of yeah. Anastasia. It's the little bat guy uh, in Anastasia. Okay, okay. So that's kind of maybe a short, or is it actually... Yeah, it's a short okay. film. Yeah. Um, but like uh, American Tale, um, this oh, right. movie, yeah. Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, that's around the time I'm like a tween. So those are big films for me because uh, I'm growing up watching that as kids' films. Secret in not so much. I mean, this is a little bit, not darker, but it's, you know, it's rats. Sure. So I, I don't think it got a, as much TV play. But Land Before Time, I don't know how many times I've watched those baby dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. I saw that in a theater yeah. and cried. I remember crying while <laughs> watching Land Before Time. man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're all, yeah. Spoiler alert. Dinosaurs aren't going to make it, Kyle. <laughs> Yeah, inherently, anytime you make a movie about dinosaurs, like, well, this is not any well. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All Dogs Go to Heaven specifically is the movie as a, whenever, tween or teen, whenever that movie came out in my life, I would have been... 89. So I would have been like six or seven years old. But I still remember that that was the movie where I fundamentally started to understand, oh, other movies besides, sorry, other studios besides Disney mm. make animated movies. Yeah. Like for some reason, I just didn't compute in my head it's like oh disney animation they, they do all the animation in the world well around this i mean i was a little bit older but i think so, a friend who had older siblings had shown me heavy metal and mm -hmm. uh there's another one so like i knew independent like i didn't wouldn't have termed it independent but i knew there were other people making animated things but the quality and the adult nature of those yeah separated from disney but you're right like the don bluth uh did he have i don't know what his studio is called but all the stuff that he was bringing. Don Blue Studios. Yeah. So all of these these big movies that came out in a span of 10 years, uh, I think gave Disney a push. It's probably why Eisner came in. Yeah. Like, we need to make original and good movies. <laughs> right. Well, I think the other big thing, though, too, is that you can very much tell the influence Disney had on Don Bluth. Like, his yeah. style is very Disney-like. Very 70s very Disney. Very similar. Yeah, yeah. Very 70s Disney. Yes. The other big cultural impact he has is on video games because Dragonlance Dragon is also Don Bluth. Yep. If anyone's familiar with that, where you had to basically memorize left, right, forward, A, B to go through the 14 minute sequence at the end of the day of what it was, but put a lot of wow. quarters into those machines trying you to remember that very specifically. Good for you. 
I could never get past like the first two minutes. I always got stuck at the stupid water rafting thing. I don't but know. If you go into YouTube, you can actually watch the full thing if you're interested. YouTube's in the... a crazy place. You know, speed runs on video games. What are these mm -hmm. people? I, I don't even do anything with my life, Kyle, but I could never, I could never come up with a different way to hold a controller to save two seconds on Super Mario through or Tetris. I saw a whole video like revolutionary holding controller technique. Well, it's crazy. I, I kind of find that, I don't know, I just find that whole thing fascinating. Just going with like the first Mario specifically of there is a difference between like the fastest someone can go through just period, the it. fastest you can get through that. So you have to use warps and get around the world. And then there's the fastest without using warps. So there's the yeah, two different styles. Actually playing the game, yeah. Actually playing the game through. I forget. But using warps, I think you can beat that game in 12 minutes. It's crazy. Yeah. You can go super quick through that entire game. And this is not a knock on these nerds. Like, the, when you watch them, it's watchable. It's very watchable because it's just so weird. But it is also yeah. like your brain's got to be like, what? Like, how much game time? I was, there's a documentary on, is it Donkey Kong? Like, the high score? Yeah, uh, King of Kong. King of Kong. Yeah, stuff like that. You're like, wow. This is a thing. The Konami code is my love language. What is your history with this film, The Secret of Nim specifically? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that I know I've watched it. On the presumption we've already watched it, I realized I don't think I've watched this in my adult life because I remember all the mm -hmm. points, the beats, and the look of it, but I don't have that feeling like, oh, yeah, you know, this mm -hmm. is what's going to happen. It's weird. You don't have that deep nostalgia for it. You know how I know I didn't watch this uh, in my adult life? I didn't know what Nim meant until they start talking oh in the God. film. Oh my God, thank you so much for bringing this up. Yeah. Not that we've watched the movie already, <laughs> but yeah, I was like, oh, that's right? what Nim means. And you're like, of course it does. But then yeah, yeah. I got as a Because the thing in the right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I definitely haven't watched this since, uh, at least before I had mental health issues. So I have a soft spot for it. Uh, and I think because it's a Don Bluth thing, you know, his um, character designs, there's a special, right? All very Home. similar. Yeah. yeah, like that style, that feeling. So, you know, I remember liking this. No, I think, I think my cousin had this on VHS. It's probably the first time I watched this. This obviously came up before I was born, so I definitely didn't go and see this in a theater. Just showing off. Just humble bragging your age. Nice. This is so supremely embarrassing. I don't really know how to communicate this effectively. But even as a, as a kid, I knew of... The Secret of Nim. I even had like the novelization of this movie for some reason. Okay. I, I never bought it. It well, was fine. just in my yeah. room. So I just had. Yeah. I've always had this deep, I don't know, not fear. Fear is the wrong word, but just like I was always off put, even as a kid, for this movie where it almost like it felt wrong to be watching it. And I don't know how to verbalize this mm -hmm. effectively because it's not like, yeah, I was afraid of mice and everything, but that's not what it was. It was just like, the feeling, the tone, mm. it just felt like this is, this is dark. I shouldn't be watching adult. this. There's something yeah. cruel or bad about this. And I remember even when I watched this as a kid, like I feel bad while watching this. Huh. I don't know what it is about this movie that I feel bad while watching this. I mean, I guess we'll find out. I Yeah. That's interesting. But I think it's just a me thing. There's just something about this movie that just feels a little off <laughs> to me. And like I don't Dark know. Crystal was like a ball yeah, of laughs. Yeah, Dark Crystal is fine. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's like, so oh, that's weird. for children. It's just basically a psychopath. I think that's what we're getting at. I, am, I am a psychopath. I remember being terrified of the owl in this movie. Yes. And of not being super big on like the lead rat. Because <laughs> they ah. both have the stupid glowing eyes. And it's like, nope, 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 nope. I don't like this but, at all. But uh, slimy bug creatures that run around and try to mm -hmm. chop gelflings in half. You're like, oh, that's kids fodder. Oh, yeah, I whatever. Be scared of kid, that. Kid, 
Alley. I, I would have to say I maybe watched this maybe twice as a young kid, and it has now been 25-ish years since the last time I watched this movie. Like, I have not watched this for, for many, many years, for decades. I've never had an urge really to re-watch it either. I think because of those initial feelings of like, there's something about this that just put, puts me out for some reason. Which I don't have for all the other Don Blue stuff. Like, I loved All Dogs Go to Heaven. Watch that yeah, all the I, time. Oh, really? Land I, Before Time. I wouldn't chase after any of those films. Although, you know, to be honest, if, let's say I was on Netflix and An American Tale popped up, I don't know if it was ever on there. Especially right now, I might turn it on and see if Emerson liked it. That was, you know, uh, palatable That's for fun. kids' films, right? It's, it's, uh, I mean, I haven't watched that also yeah. since I was a kid. Maybe it's a lot more adult in nature than I think, but. I think this is true but someone will have to fact check me. You know how like Transformers, the movie, like the animated oh, movie from the 80s? Yeah, it's the last movie that Orson Welles is in. Mm, yeah. And American Tale, I think, is the last movie Jimmy Stewart is in. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So interesting little fun fact mm. of uh, <laughs> animation in the 80s where these titans of the uh, American the movie scene are their last movies. Yeah. You just need mm. my voice. You got it. Um, I'll sell the moon for you, Sally. <laughs> I can't do his voice <laughs> that was very pretty well. Good. But, that was yeah. pretty good. Okay, well, let's do this then. We do have some uh, sponsors to thank, so let's go do that. And then when we come back, we'll be getting into talking about rats, animation, the secret of Nim, Dave. Uh, yeah. Dave, what would you do if you noticed that, I don't know, like the pigeons around your apartment building had gained sentience. They were using complicated machines. They seemed to have their own uh, very specific structure. Would you still want them I'll dead? I'll just give up. I'll give in. Yeah, I'll give in. I'll worship them as my overlords. I, I okay. find it fascinating when I've watched a YouTube video of MetaTool using birds, and I'm mm, just yeah. like, you know Isn't what? Wild? Yeah, I give up. I can hardly use a tool. Let Crows alone. know, like, are using like shovels and stuff like that now that they've recorded. Building, yeah. uh, building things out of two or three sticks if they can't reach with the first one. It's fascinating. What was it? Oh, they they are they're now starting to see certain chimp colonies use weapons, like like she making spears and stuff like nice. that to go into battle with other chimp colonies. I'm like, oh great. There's a movie. Planet of the Apes is yeah. closer than we think. <laughs> this movie about that. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing. And it all ends well. <laughs> the new one is that the last James Franco movie that was any good? Anyways, we are of course here to uh Thanks, some sponsors. I'm completely um, unprepared here, obviously, but uh, Con Dave vs. the Machine, of course, is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported, the Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. Uh, I'd kill the pigeons, by the way, just so I'm on the record. I you can't kill pigeons. They always come back. Like the Hydra, two for every one you kill. By the way, talking about weird birds, they apparently, again, I always never know how true this is because it's like something I read online. When a crow dies, you'll see actually other crows gather around it. And for a long time, they thought it was mourning, kind of like how elephants like mourn their, their own dead. But researchers have kind of discovered like, no, no, what they're actually doing is trying to figure out how that crow died. They're probably just eating the bird. They are carry-on birds. They eat dead things. On WestJet, you're only allowed one carry-on bird. <laughs> one carry-on. <laughs> everybody's got, like, everybody's got Oh, it. my God. Uh, I'm so good sometimes. Okay. Hey, yo. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by the Alberta Blue Cross. Alberta Blue Cross understands that running a small business is tough, and they understand that business owners in Alberta are busy. 
Let Alberta Blue Cross give you peace of mind with a group benefit plan. They offer health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Alberta Blue Cross group benefit plans are easy to manage anywhere, anytime, and on any device, making it easy for you and your employees to access. To learn more and explore your options, head on over to ab.bluecross.ca. Nice. Well read. All right. Slash no rats. We have a new sponsor uh, called Connect mm -hmm. First Credit Union, and they're pretty oh. smart. They've probably heard our podcast and how we butcher ad reads, so they've supplied this clip to tell us about themselves. Themselves? Is that does that grammatically work? No, yeah, that's good. Let's yeah. Do you ever feel like just a number, a digit, a denominator, a decimal, another cog in the big bank machine, waiting on hold, online? never on time, and always on your dime. Like your worth is only calculated by your net worth. In a world full of numbers, it's nice to know there's a place where you're not one. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future. All right, Dave. We have, of course, sat down here. We have Learned watched the this 90-minute animated film from 1982 learn the secret of nim let's say yeah. that um we uh we have started our own extermination business oh gross right? yeah and we've rolled up to the house of our first customer what would our name be it would be called uh kyle and kill dave him. <laughs> kill him kill them all kill that's dead. what our business called. so we run up and we're like hello we're from kill them kill them all this is this dave my name's kyle we also do a podcast. It's called Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. You should listen. Here's a little QR code. Anyways, wow. we're uh, so, uh, going around setting up the traps, the glue pads, and the strychnine, and all the other stuff that goes into killing vermin. Okay. And the little boy, who is the son so like licking, of the licking person licking the, uh, the trap, yeah. Licking the trap, and he's like, Hey, mister. Sir, <laughs> hey, mister. What's the secret of Nim about? I just saw this on Tubi. <laughs> what, what would you say that the secret of Nim is about? Oh, man. What is the secret of Nim about? It's a pretty simple plot, I think, really, at the end of the day. Yeah, well, okay, then you do it. What's the simple plot? I'm, I'm getting my head wrapped up about uh, animal cruelty experimentation. Yeah, there's the, the, the specifics, but it's all about the emancipation of intelligent <laughs> okay. rats. Yeah, you're getting way too far into the weeds. <laughs> it features uh, a mother, Mrs. Mrs. Oh, Brisby, right. whose son is dying and they can't son. move, even though the farmer's about to go and plow his field. So they need a little bit of time. So she goes on a quest to stop the plow from going and killing her son, which involves finding out the secret of the rats of Nim. Mm. That's basically what it is. Mm. Okay. But really, at the end of the day, it's her trying to stop the plow. That's really what this movie is yeah, about. Yeah, I forgot about that because uh, it ceases to matter at some point. The book ends this movie. I think it's pretty important yeah. at the very beginning and at the very end. But uh, what were your thoughts? Also, how did everything grow back so quickly after they were put into the slop? Was that supposed to be at the end of the summer? Because she's still bandaging her hands. As though they had just fought. Things things do grow. If it's a good growing season, uh -huh. you can actually do three cuts in, in, a, in, a, in an entire summer. So. I'm just saying it looked like the next day and there was like flowers mm, blooming on I this see. house. Uh, what did I think? I had a above lukewarm feel. I, like I like it, but right. it's got problems. Like I, Yeah, it's a messy movie. It's messy. Some, I, I think this might have been a problem with... Um, the balance between voice acting and animation at the time, there's a lot of stuttering, particularly at the beginning, a lot of stuttering moments of the dialogue where I'm not even sure what's happening. The character of the crow is so obnoxious and doesn't actually factor into the plot. I thought at least this bumbling idiot would bring the string, but 
he's just not in it. So I don't know why they added that character into it. It's not funny. Well, this is this is such a I I defy anyone who is under forty to even know who Dom DeLuise is. First off, what 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 a name that has completely evaporated from the cultural consciousness. I kind of agree with you. I've never really enjoyed the whole like shtick of Dom DeLuise, so that maybe is a bias on my part coming into it. But uh, well, that used to be a comedic tool, right? Just having a fool. That's whatever. But once the plot gets rolling, it's got a lot of really interesting, um, especially what gets into the ethereal fantasy plot, gets some really interesting vibes, right? You get, uh, yeah. it's basically partially a fantasy movie. For adults, when they spin in NIM, which uh, is the National Institute for Mental Health and yes. Experimentation on Animals, you get that extra layer. You're like, ah, this is why these rats are so fucking smart. They've been tortured. Mm-hmm. But then in the climax, I mean, didn't you find it moved too quickly? It, yeah. it just didn't pay off all of the drama. It's such an anti-climax yeah. to me. It's just like, and it's over. It's like, oh yeah, I did do it. I did kill him. Okay, now I'm going to get stabbed and die. And you're like, oh, great. That was like 30 seconds after waiting, you know, 80 minutes for them to finally unravel this political plot. And then uh, they move the house and everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> It's just right. like, great. Oh, and the, and the, the amulet. What? Yeah, Why? Okay, this is this is right. this is my biggest gripe with this movie, and I didn't fully understand it until I did some research that the machine printed out here this week. You're welcome, by the way. So this is based on a book, on a children's book from the early 1970s, and we'll get into talking about that during the backstory. Every single fantasy element in this film is added. Mm. It is not in the original book. Yeah, that makes more sense. It just stays as a science fiction piece of Nim. Um, operate on these rats and they become sentient basically right it's basically okay. flowers for algernon yeah, I was gonna say. but for rats yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's what the book yeah. is and so yeah they don bluth specifically decided well we need to have fantasy magic. in this we so we'll have an amulet and a and a prophecy and this like wizard rat and none of that is in the original book and i think you can feel it and i think that's yes. what is the weird thing about this movie is that all of that fantasy stuff doesn't matter no. like, none of it actually matters like at a, all it's like a veneer right yeah no and i think it would have been a stronger film had they stuck a little bit more closely wouldn't have been for kids that though, original plot right if it was that mechanical yeah and, you know it would have been it would have been for adults because even understanding that rats can and like uh appreciating that rats can engineer a pulley system to pull a cinder mm -hmm. block out of the mud the kids don't give a fuck Right? We, it's not important. You know, of course rats can do that because we're watching them do it. So Yeah, you probably would have had to have added in a bunch of more like um, adventure elements into the story, probably to have kids be interested in it. Yeah. I think, honestly, more Dom DeLuise Crow. <laughs> Just add in like more and more scenes of Dom DeLuise Crow. <laughs> okay, uh, so my son's not a great barometer for this because he comes from the screen generation, but mm -hmm. he did become engaged in this film after the crow because the crow is fucking obnoxious okay but as so he soon did as watch it he tried and then as soon as uh, the adventure so he was on his ipad couldn't care less mm -hmm. as soon as she starts the adventure after we see timmy dying i saw him starting to peek up and then mm -hmm. um there was i can't remember what scene he had this crucial existential moment where he had to choose between the movie and the ipad so he went ipad right and yeah, then yeah. as we cut back into the as soon as nicodemus shows up he came back and he was like what oh, can you explain me i'm like no you just missed like the last 20 minutes. I'm not. And then I paused it and told him what was going on. And he watched the rest of the movie with me. So, so NIM stands for the National Institute. <laughs> just telling this huge backstory. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so yeah, I guess overall 
tepid. It's not a terrible movie. It's no, just... like I think for me, actually, the main quest, such as it is, as simple as it is, is pretty compelling. Yeah, like yeah. She's just trying to save her son. Anytime you I, save your course, kid, you're going to watch yeah. that story. Of course, I do have my bias against rats and mice. And so that is a put off for me At a little bit. Yeah. So that's a bias that I'm cartoons. bringing into this movie. Yeah. I think that the animation is beautiful. I love the hand-drawn style. It looks gorgeous. I do have a couple of nitpicks. I don't know if you noticed this. There's a few times where the scale of the characters mm -hmm. changes between cuts. And it kept throwing me off. Like, specifically for that crow scene, sometimes she's, like, only up to his ankle. Sometimes she's up to his waist. Like, it's just, like, it keeps bouncing back They're and Tom forth. cruising it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, just like, oh, weird. that the That's the problem with hand-drawn stuff, right? It's, you need very good artists to maintain a sense of perspective. Actually, even in film. Uh, mm -hmm. you choose the wrong lens and everything skews very quickly. So, uh, yes, it, it, there are scenes where it opens and you're just like, whoa, that mouse got pretty big. A little bit of a nitpick on my part. I, I, I that didn't like <laughs> make me start to hate this movie by any stretch of the imagination. I forgot that there was a song in this movie because <laughs> straight up I'm like, oh, she started singing. I'm like, wait a second. This isn't a musical. I didn't think this was a musical. Yeah. It's not. No. There's just the one song. Is that she, she sings, singing it but... or isn't it just a song playing in the background? With, well, I, yeah, you might be right, actually. I think you might be right. Yeah, I don't think I saw her mouse, mouse mouth move, mm -hmm. but it is weird because it's the only uh, song with lyrics and mm -hmm. uh, you're like, oh, I hope, I hope this is not going to be a musical because <laughs> it's just not going to work, I, I thought. Yeah. And, it, and they didn't go there. So then after I was like, why did they put that? Why? It's a lot yeah, of white It's a little off-putting, yeah. but... Uh, but yeah, basically all the animation is is pretty gorgeous in my in my opinion. Most of the fantasy stuff doesn't work for me, but like the the greens and like the mm -hmm. browns and stuff of that fantasy world out in the meadow, these like purples and oranges and pinks. Like there's some really cool stuff that they're playing. When you learn about how this movie was made, which is basically an independent production, basically this was an independent production, it becomes even more amazing what they were able to pull off in just under two years that they were making this movie, like they were hand drawing this movie. If anybody young doesn't know how a hand-drawn movie is made you need to google that shit because it is wild a lost art to paint something cell by cell on transparencies to make sure can, can you imagine just making a character look exactly the same but having them emote something it's just genius you know even going so far this is how uh, much into the weeds that don bluth was because he was such a of course a fan of traditional animation but he understood Mrs. Brisby with her red like little overcoat that she has on. That red is going to be a different red if it's the morning sun, yeah. the afternoon sun, at night. Different lighting. This yeah. rating. So he had a chart that was made up. It's like, okay, oh, if wow. it's this scene, it's this color red. If she's here, it's this color red. If it's this, it's this color red. It's, yeah, and it's this very type natural. of brown. It looks great. And so it never yeah. feels like they're not in the place and they're playing with shadows. They did this other technique where they were, I'm saying like this, I understand 100%, but the background, of course, which is a matte painting. There's a background and then he would backlight it, which would cause shadows to come through oh, interesting. and fall on the drawings that they were drawing. Hmm. And so they were actually using real shadows as they were capturing that. So, so he used different uh, transparencies yeah. of paint or something? Because otherwise yeah, it would just like, block it out. So you, Yeah. So I somehow he was using that to use real shadows. Yeah. So when they captured that image, it was a real shadow from the back, like that they it were using. It feels very like, lucid. It's pretty cool. Beyond me, yeah. how they would have thought of how to do this. You can definitely see the difference between like 
this movie and yeah if you go and, and watch Spider-Man. any well any 80s like made for tv cartoon yeah. that would air on saturday mornings like, like yeah you can see night and day yeah. how different these are Although the 80s uh, yes for that quality but the 80s were starting to generate some really good tv cartoons so sure inspector gadget is an abomination yeah i mean i just watched this yesterday i don't know this is the problem with this movie this is probably why i didn't revisit it it can be appreciated like this on a technical level it's fine it's not offensive and it doesn't really drag you down because how dumb it is but it's also not that memorable like no not memorable it's not that compelling like i don't really want to watch it again you know i'm fine right, yeah i'm fine having seen it i'm not upset that I we watched it 20 years before yeah. i revisit this if emerson ever had a kid and that kid's like 10 is like what is this weird thing called you know yeah i'll sit down i'll sit down and watch this thing with you uh, it won't be in three-dimensional you know ar or something but uh mm-hmm. back in back in my day cartoons were flat the do set it apart again thinking back at this time late by the way i think last week we were talking about how there the, there's a few rat slash mice movies that happened in the 80s i think the one we weren't thinking of were the rescuers oh yes so the, rescuers the rescuers came out like a couple years before this That's a good one this movie and then uh, the great mouse detective in like 88 or 87 so for some reason there was this run of mouse movies that were being made. it's mickey yeah. right you're trying to fight mickey actually you know what one of the best scenes was the first time the plow comes out and they mm. have the silhouette and you feel that tension because they've made the scale correctly and i thought that was shot really uh, nicely but i was surprised at how human beings when they get introduced into the story how important they are to the film right. because i didn't know what name meant <laughs> and as soon as you know that it's like oh well of course we're the problem this also shows blood which again is a very rare thing to see in animation, especially at this time. Maybe I, that's what made you squeamish when you were a kid. Maybe, I don't know. There's just something about this movie because uh, I still remember that in Up, when that movie came out, there's a moment where Carl like, hits someone on the head with his cane and they start to bleed and how big of a deal <laughs> people made that. It's like, there's really? blood in oh. a Pixar movie. I didn't even like, remember just, that. Okay, I'll have to rewatch it. It's a very short, quick scene. but it's Just like, for that scene. But blood does not show up in like Disney, Pixar no. very often. No. It's a very rare occurrence. So when I noticed it, it's like, oh, wow, they're, they're actually showing blood. I have to say, as an adult, coming back to this, I still had that feeling and I don't know what it is. I wish I, wish I could figure out that? what it was that makes it feel like there's something tonally about this movie that feels not off in a bad way it's just like oh i shouldn't be there's something evil about this i don't know what it is it's like dark crystal the the tone is dark like for example uh, when they see the great owl there's a horror element Mm -hmm. to that right you you crawl into this brutal tunnel there's this spider that's about to eat her and they drew drew it quite disgustingly and then when it gets killed it's like squished it's not just disappearing off right. you, know, you see this giant talon and destroying it the owl in that scene even nicodemus they're drawn almost cruelly they have like a very mm, not violent yeah but but a dark characterization they're not cute it's not like that stupid owl winnie the pooh right they don't look like idiots they look right. they look uh well uh, first of all how beaten. dare you disparage winnie the pooh but go on <laughs> Secret Marinette, same thing. Like there isn't any cuteness in it, right? I mean, even the no, stupid Marinettes—they're weird-looking. The Gelflings—they're not—they're not cute, mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of that dog. So I think that's part of it too. This is what I was getting at last week when we were talking about Secret of Nim. Uh, sorry, uh, Dark Crystal. I'm mixing up because I think the same problem. They're not actually kids' kids' movies, right? They're 
they're like teenager movies yeah. or something. There's something in between. They're not adult animation. It's not heavy metal. It's not sex. It's not all this other not Fritz drugs. The cat. Not Fritz the Cat. It's not a pornography. But it's somewhere in between. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. maybe targeting, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. I don't know. Maybe 17, you get into the people that are watching our movies, so they don't care about animation anymore, but somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So I think there's a tension there. Well, I, I think there was that, that fear, honestly, in the 80s of people like, oh, maybe kids don't want animation anymore. I, I would maybe argue that they just were not producing stuff that kids wanted to go and see, but there was that fear of like, maybe we still have to age this up. And so people will actually come and start watching it again. I mean, there's a reason why his next film is, is it American Tale? I mean, that's for I kids. American Tale's next. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's for kids. All, dog goes, all dogs go to heaven. That's for kids. It doesn't have this kind of- Even though it's pretty dark too, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't have this visual darkness greediness yeah i think i think you may be right wetness i don't know but the the other thing too and this is true from the source material for children's lit it's actually pretty rare for an adult to be the main character Mm. like in in most kids stories it would be like the protagonist like a martin like one of the kids could be going on the adventure to save his brother or something like that or it'd be a teenager like it's young king arthur or it's whatever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or the princesses they're all supposed to be teenagers like ariel and all them are supposed to be teenagers but so it's always like young women young (sighs) men who are going on an adventure and this is like sure (laughs) how old are these princes i mean we should look into that if we want to cancel something Ariel is supposed to be 16 years old, and that's actually said in the movie itself. So talk about how problematic oh that, can, that can turn out to be. But what I'm saying is it is rare for it to be, it's a mother who's going to try and save her yeah. son. Like, that's usually not what these movies are. Even, yeah, even if you have like a Prince Princess movie or Robin Hood or something, they're not parents. That might be part of it too, is our expectations of what animated films targeting children are supposed to be. Uh, about or uh, look like you know um what kind of stories they tell so there's something like that now also this movie's got some political intrigue which i don't think any kids give a shit about so you know i think we should get into the backstory here then because i think that's what the fascinating thing is on the source novel which is written for kids it's supposed to be written for kids but has a very strong socio-political point that it's trying to make which i find fascinating but you can weave into children's fiction but is usually not appreciate until they get older. Yeah. It's the parents who like that. And then the kids figure out that they like that. Programming. Programming. So, which is why for my niece and nephew, I always like to read the children's book, Unions, not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> A lighthearted family tale. <laughs> family tale. Of a right-wing conservative. Yeah. You know, capitalism, all good. No bad. <laughs> you don't want money? Who doesn't want money? <laughs> This movie opened up on July 16th of 1982. It's rated 3.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd, 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, has a 76 on Metacritic, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 93% from 68 critics and an 85% from 5,000 plus users. Really high numbers, man. Holy smokes. Again, Rotten Tomatoes, all that means is that 93% of critics gave it a 3 out of 5 or higher. Even Letterboxd, right? Anyways, keep going, keep going. I, just, I think this is a solid 7 out of 10 movie, I'm just, just going to say. I'm just <laughs> processing it. All right, let's keep going. Uh, available on DVD and Blu-ray. Currently available to purchase or rent on iTunes and YouTube. And in Canada, at least, you can stream this on Tubi. I did get commercials, by the way. Not that many, not that many, but I had to watch. Oh. I mean, I always turn my brain off for commercials, but I think it was lactose-free milk. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Goes well with rats. Uh, is that uh, one or twi- two commercial breaks um one before the movie started oh yeah i think i got two in 90 minutes and it was just single ad slots which yeah. is that's a good ratio 
So that's not bad for a free service. Uh, yeah, I somehow lucked out. I got the commercial before the movie started and then no commercials throughout the rest of it. So I don't know how I lucked privilege. out Privilege. Because uh, you're probably, white male um, privilege. <laughs> Tubi is actually starting to become one of my favorite streaming oh platforms. Like, yeah, there's the commercial breaks that happen occasionally. But it's like, you don't have to sign up. I don't have to give them my information. It's just like, I can go there, watch it. It's free. I'm good. Like what? What kind of movies are on there? This I only go there when you tell me to. So it's, there's actually some pretty big, the, decent ones okay. on there. Like um, Wolf of Wall Street is on there. Wolf on their Wall service. Street's on Tubi. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and some other big. The Crow, I think, is currently oh, on there. And I would revisit that. I know yeah, it I won't do. hold up, but that was a big movie for me in high school. Let me get through the rest of this, Dave. The budget for this movie ended up being $7 million. Oh, wow. Its box office was $14.7 million. So $45 million if we adjust for inflation. So a modest hit. It doubled its uh, investment. The plot description is, To save her ill son, a field mouse must seek the aid of a colony of rats with whom she has a deeper link than she suspected. Can I, can I just point out, you know, when Kyle says, oh, I don't know why you can't uh, synopsize a film, that you've actually read a synopsis of the film before you chastise me, but not being able to make one up on the spot. So, I'm pretty so, sure I could have uh, done that. Fuck you, Kyle. That. I think I could have done that. <laughs> it is now time for everyone's favorite <laughs> portion of our show. It is time to play the game. Guess, Guess that, that tag. tag. part of the show where I get to put on my favorite blazer. There's a long microphone I pick up from Bob Barker. And you know when you go to see a movie in theaters, maybe you're going to go and see the new horror film Barbarian, which is good. Um, I enjoyed my time with it. But uh, you know, this row of posters, and it's there to entice you to go and see the movie. Barbarian is about um, an Airbnb gone wrong. Oh, okay. Where two people show up I at the same time on a review on Apple News, but okay, keep yeah. going. Discover a, a series of tunnels filled with, I won't reveal it, Gross. but uh, it is filled with something. You know what I'm tired of? And I know this is a trope, but in the short video I saw is that scene where the person who might be the bad guy does the walkout in between a narrow hallway, then it's backlit mm. and he just kind of like has a weird standing pose. <laughs> Stance, the ominous. Yeah. It's like, look, there's got to be a new way to just make people feel creeped out. I get too into my head about that type of stuff, which is like, Obviously, this is a red herring because yeah. it's never the first person they show that's the bad guy. But also, why is Stan so weird? Like, why are you, right? you making it look like you're the weirdo uh, in this situation? Hey, Anyways, there's usually a tagline on the poster. It's there to entice you to come and see the movie. One of these is the real tagline that showed up on the Secret of Nim poster. Okay. Two of them completely made up by me. So, was the tagline for this movie, Dave? Right before your eyes and beyond your wildest dreams. Is it... This summer, come and discover the secret for yourself. Or is it, a mother will do anything to save her son? I'll go two. I thought you would have gone with like, rats, rats, rats. Some are good, some are bad. <laughs> this summer, come and discover the secret for yourself. Sure. That's the one you're picking? No, why not? Incorrect. The right one is actually the first one. Right before your eyes and beyond your wildest dreams. Wow, why does, who comes up with this shit? Like, what does that I mean? I want to know. I want to go to MGM and be like, who did this? <laughs> this means nothing. This means nothing. A, I wonder if it's like one person, like the voiceover guy. I wonder if there's like a tagline person who just had to come mm. up with all of them. You know, they get into production like, all right, there's a movie about rats. And they're like, well, what, what was the line? <laughs> Coming, what? Right before your eyes and beyond your wildest dreams. Someone should pay me to write taglines. The real ones sound like they were made by AI anyway. 
This stars Elizabeth Hartman as Mrs. Brisby, Derek Jacobi as Nicodermus, Arthur Mallet as Mr. Aegis, John Carradine as the Great Owl, Peter Strauss as Justin, Paul Shinar as Jenner, and Dom DeLuise as Jeremy. Anything you want to say about these actors? Not particularly. I did notice, is it, uh, which Carradine? Keith, no, Keith Carradine? John Carradine. John Carradine. Is the father is, uh, of Keith Carradine. Right, yeah. right. Otherwise, meh. John Carradine had a very long, extensive career yeah. in like B-movies, horror films. Great voice. Has a great voice. He has a great Derek voice. Jacobi, I know from all of his Shakespeare stuff, he is um, the king in the Kenneth Branagh's version of Hamlet. Ah, okay. That's how I know him. Yep. Okay, so those are the, uh, those are the actors. <laughs> Dave didn't do his work. He was supposed to do backstory on some of these people, Listen, and he didn't do it. I watched so that's it yesterday, him. so uh, I dedicated enough time. It's 90 minutes, Kyle. That's like my limit after that. For hand-drawn animation, at least, there's not a traditional cinematographer mm -hmm. like there is in live-action cinema. Although, again, in computer-generated cinema, there is. You actually do start to get cinematographers who work with them. But So the closest it would be is the directing animator, who is this guy named Gary Goldman. And his top four on IMDb are this movie, Titan A.E. from 2000, All Dogs Go to Heaven in 1989, and Anastasia from 1997. Huh, imagine it's that. Like he worked with Don Bluth a lot. <laughs> I, wonder, yeah, I wonder if he knows Don Bluth. It's written by Don Bluth and John Pomeroy, and Gary Goldman, and Will Finn. Um, based on that, each one of those people had their own draft that they cobbled together, yeah. just based on how they are... Um, listed. Uh, noted. Yeah, listed. Noted down. Or it's based on the novel Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim by mm -hmm. Robert C. O'Brien. To change it. Uh, directed by Don Bluth. Okay. So they did change the name when they made this the movie. The author wasn't too happy with the way it was going? Hmm... My, this is a complete theory and I have no way to back this up. I wonder if they changed it because of the Frisbee and they didn't want oh. it to get into like copyright infringement or some weird copyright okay. thing. Maybe. Yeah, I could see that. Or people being like, like the disc thing that you throw. Anyways, as far as backstory goes, let's talk about the novel first and how it is different. So its author, Robert C. O'Brien, was the pen name for Robert Conley. He was this journalist that worked for National Geographic, Newsweek, and other publications. But after getting glaucoma oh, no. and not being able to see anymore, he started to write children's oh. stories that he would kind of narrate and people would transcribe for him. So why Nicodemus is blind? Maybe. He wrote under a pseudonym because the contract that he signed with National Geographic forbid him from publishing for any other company. Oh, wow. So he just made a pseudonym. Seems a little weird to me. but National uh, Geographic. It's like learning, uh, is it Life Magazine? Was like a shell company for the FBI or whatever, whatever that sure. thing is. It's fascinating. National Geographic. I mean, they told me what the world was like, Kyle, through their colonial lens, right? That's the, that's the right. earth that I'm aware they of. They show me the geography of the <laughs> nations of the world. Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim was his second book and would go on to win him the Newbery Medal, which is an award given for outstanding children's literature. He couldn't go to accept it, of course, because again, he was writing underneath a pseudonym. So he had to send someone else oh, to wow. go and pick up the award for him. Now, the premise of the book is the same, but there are some pretty big changes that the film makes to the source material and not just the name of the main character. So to briefly go through this, setup is essentially the same. Mrs. Frisbee is a widow, has a son named Timothy, who is sick, and the farmer is soon going to be running the plow. But she needs to wait to move her son because he'll die if they try and move him now. She meets a crow, tells her to go see the owl. 
She goes and talks to him. And uh, once she reveals that she was once married to Jonathan, a friend of the owl, he tells her to go and speak with the rats underneath the rose bush. When she goes there, that is when she discovers this modernized world filled with machines and advanced technology. She eventually talks to this lead rat, Nicodermus, who describes what's happened, that they were these lab experiments inside the National Institute of Mental Health. They were given the ability to think, read, write, and operate complicated machines. Two mice help them escape, one of them being Jonathan, so they hold him in high esteem. So the rats are considering leaving the farm because they no longer want to scrounge off the food from humans as they consider that that is now morally wrong. It's stealing from another sentient species. So they want to move and live off the land honestly, whatever, you know, honestly means in this case, but that's what they want to do. There's a splinter group of rats. I'm using that word specifically, a splinter group of rats wow. led by Jenner wow. who Just... reject the plan and have moved out of the nest because they do want to steal from humans. Like that's the evil thing that they want to do. Their primal nature, Kyle. That's right. Mm. Adventure ensues. It involves drugging the family cat. Mrs. Frisbee is caught, placed in a cage. She's rescued by Justin. And then she and the rats are able to move her home which is located in a cinder block out of the way of the plow. One of the things that Mrs. Frisbee learns while captured is that a group of rats was spotted stealing a motor from the local hardware store, and now the humans are investigating weird rat sightings and want to exterminate them. The rats decide to hide all their technology, make it look like they're just normal rats, but the exterminator still tries to gas them, and most of them escape except for two of them which die. The rats do decide to go off and live their own lives in a new paradise somewhere, uh, somewhere else, uh, along with their technological discoveries, and Mrs. Frisbee goes off to live with her family at their summer home. So as you can see, I think some the basic shell is the same, but the specifics get pretty different if we're talking about original versus the adaptation. Now, regardless, the rights to make this movie were initially offered to Disney in 1972, but they would say, no, we're not interested in it. Don Bluth, as I mentioned, is this huge name in American animation. He was working for the Walt Disney Company for many years, starting with Sleeping Beauty in 1959. Like I said, he is an old man. He did some stuff for Winnie the Pooh, uh, Dave's great hated cartoon, apparently. And uh, a lot of <laughs> character animation for the animated Robin Hood Winnie film. Winnie was great. Just the owls bumbling. Uh, he did some stuff for the Robin Hood animated film. He also worked on The Fox and the Hound. But during the production of that, he got so angry with the company, based on how they were treating animators, that he, Gary Goldman, and nine other animators quit to go and form their own company. And the, the, the way that Disney treated their animators has only gotten better since then. Adding crickets. So they go and form their own company called Don Bluth Productions. And this is the very first film that is released uh, for underneath that company. The rights to the book had been acquired by Aurora Productions um, that was headed by another former Disney employee. And he thought that Bluth was the perfect person to do the job. So Aurora, Don Bluth Company get together. MGM signs on to distribute the film. The first draft is written by Stephen Barnes, who tied it much more closely to the book. And in fact, it was mostly just the rats at NIM. Like that is basically what the movie originally was going to be. Through revisions, of course, that was reduced to a three minute flashback. And it was Bluth who decides to edit all the mystical elements because he felt that animation should have some element of magic in it at all times. Production of this film lasted from January of 1980 until June of 1982. So a month before this movie gets released, they're still doing the finishing touches on it. There is an, an, an intentional push to use only traditional animation techniques, which I won't go into here, but I, as I talked about, 
doing those different colors, backlighting, all that good stuff. Because they were doing this hand-drawn, uh, they had to work long out. They had to work long hours with no real compensation. So they agree with MGM of getting part of the gross from the box office, which was already a common thing in live-action filmmaking and had never been done in animation before. This is actually kind of seminal in the way of using like gross as uh, getting part of your compensation. Uh, but we're talking about hundred plus hour work weeks. A lot of the crowd noises and other additional voices are just like friends and family that they got to do it for free. And most of the animators remortgage their houses to, to, to survive, pick up part of the financing that just wasn't there. To cap it all off though, after all of this hard work, MGM decided that it wasn't going to market the film because they didn't really believe in it. So Aurora was forced to pay out of pocket for at least some promotion. But it was a stacked summer, as you can recall. In 1982, you get some banger after banger, especially in the summer. So it wouldn't beat E.T., which was still on this epic run at the box office at number one for whatever it was 15 weeks or something like that. But in its first week, it does beat out Poltergeist, Rocky III, and Star Trek II. <laughs> uh, and it would become a modest hit. Critics were fairly positive. It would win Best Animated Feature at the Saturn Awards, which were given to fantasy media. You could just say nerds. Ford Legacy of this movie. Uh, we've talked about how I think this has kind of fallen out a little bit of the cultural imagination. Um, did you know there was a sequel? Only because it's on Tubi. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't either. When I searched it, I was like, oh. They mean another yeah, one. So mm. sequel, direct-to-video, came out in 1998. Oh, wow. Don Bluth has nothing to do with it. Yeah, that's... A... It is complete dog shit. I did watch it. What? This week. Why bring that back after 17 years? I have I have a theory, because okay. I did watch it this week. And I was like, man, should I watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid <laughs> for the first time? Should I go <laughs> wait, 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 even wait, further wait. back and watch the Maltese have, Falcon with, with Bogart for the first time? Maybe Have you never seen Butch Cassidy? <laughs> maybe maybe I should bring up Kurosawa and finally watch High and Low. No, no, no. No, what I'm going to do oh my is take 66 minutes out of my life <laughs> and watch The Secret of Nim 2, Timmy to the Rescue. Why do I spend so much time with you, Kyle, when you hate yourself so much? I just watch a fucking good movie, man. <laughs> I decided to watch The Secret of Nim 2, Timmy to the Rescue, Oh my by God. my own volition. It's awful. This is one of the worst well, things I've ever sat through awful. my entire life. You know what's not awful? Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, <laughs> High and Low. And what was the third one that you- Maltese Falcon. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. My theory, which I couldn't see Valley anywhere, but it, it has to be this case. First off, I think it is a thinly veiled attempt at making a Saturday morning cartoon. Okay. Like I think that's what this was like a pilot for almost because it actually fits very neatly. It's 66 minutes long for like 21, 22 minute, three episodes back to back. It's what it feels like. I also think this was not a Secret of Nim movie that they just called the Secret of Nim and kind of change a few of the characters names to make it work can i tell you what the plot is because no, i will nobody guarantee cares. you yeah. you have no idea what this nobody movie would be cares about. yeah if you dave were uh, came and if, if mgm came to you even though it's owned by amazon now so let's say amazon came to you and said we're going to give you one million dollars to write the sequel to the secret of nim just as a ballpark what's your first thought like what would no, you i would just say no yeah. Whatever. Fuck off. <laughs> if you've got a million dollars, there's no way. Um, what, but, but what is the natural thing you think you would do if it was a sequel to The Secret of Nim? Yeah, I guess intuitively you would go to the rats and mm -hmm. find a story about how they fared 17 years after right. the events <laughs> right. 
of the movie. The wild thing is, I think this movie is trying to claim that it is 17 years later. Okay. But that's beside the point. That is beside the point. I mean, they do put this, the kernel in there that the rats age very slowly due to right. their injections. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, Mrs. Brisby shows up for like five seconds. Dom DeLuise shows up for longer, which is to its discredit. As the crow. Wow. Regardless. The crow made it to the sequel. What this movie turns into, it's a musical and a bad oh, one. No. All the music is awful. It's awful, awful, awful. Why would they? Okay. But they get banger people to be a part of this. Eric Idle is in this. Andrea Martin is in this. What? Like, why are they in this movie? Oh, uh, um, what's his name? From Fargo. The main guy from Fargo. Uh, the film? Uh, William uh, H. Macy? Married to Felicity Huffman. William H. Macy? William yeah. H. Macy is in this movie. I'm like, why? Why? In 1998, are you in this movie? Contractual obligations, obviously. Scientology? Who knows? We learn in the first movie, right, that there's Timmy, who's sick in bed. And then there's, I think, Martin is the one that's voiced by um, Will Wheaton in the movie. Oh, really? It's Will Wheaton? Oh. In the original movie, it's Will Wheaton, oh, who's one of the kids. Oh. Yeah. He's not in the sequel. Well, he's disenchanted from everything other than Comic-Con. Yeah. <laughs> there's a conflict where Martin doesn't really like Timmy because Timmy is going to fulfill the destiny that their father started. What destiny is that? Okay, no, keep going. I don't know, yeah, Dave. Yeah. It's a musical with bad music, like I said. The people from Nim come back and uh, kidnap Martin. Oh, the and humans. And Timmy has to go okay. and rescue him by going back to the Nim headquarters. They decided to spend their resources mm -hmm. to find a chubby mouse who has Correct. anger management issues. Okay. The... The twist of the movie I'm ready. comes back. I'm ready. Where you think it's the evil scientist is going to be the evil antagonist the entire movie, but you actually discover that Martin wanted to be captured and has actually used this machine to increase his brain power. Ah, does he get a sidekick named Pinky? Is now kind of this evil wizard <laughs> thing who has made the evil scientist be more like rat mouse like and runs around. And so it ends in a, in a sword fight and, and Timmy saves the day and brings Martin back to live with the rats in this oasis of Nim or in the, uh, in the forest. Can you just go and watch good movies? Is that too much to ask? Buck wild that they decided to make this movie and this is not a Nim movie and wow. obviously they just decided to make this a thing. Anyways, it's awful. It's very bad. Well, Don't go and watch it. Even though it's on Tubi. it's awful. Okay. 66 minutes could not have gone longer. I was like, just, <laughs> I could not believe it was like such a short movie and it felt like an eternity. In 2009, Paramount wanted to create a remake, but that fell through eventually. Didn't you study film in school? Like, how have you not watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? I mean, never mind Kurosawa because, you know, we're North American people, don't like Asian people, but Kyle, I've seen the highlights. I know the yippee Kaye, they jump off the top oh, of the mountain and into sake. the water, whatever. Have you seen The Sting? Um, I know the song from The Sting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. So not I need a big to see fan more uh, Robert Redford movies okay. is what you're trying to say. Well, Paul Newman, more, yeah, I would think, would be the tie for someone who studied so big cinema thing, in university. The big thing is that in 2015, MGM reacquired the rights to this movie and to the source material. It wanted to do a live-action CGI hybrid. The Russo brothers announced that they would become executive producers in 2019. What? But I have no idea how the purchase of MGM by Amazon has impacted that what? project. I'm guessing it's dead, but I don't know. I couldn't find any information if it was or not. At Fox, which is now owned by Disney, a television series was being planned as late as 2021. Why? That, that was announced. Why? Because we can only go back to things that have been made, Dave. We started our conversation oh, by that. We only can go back to things that have been made instead of creating new things. I hate society. 
Did you know that? I do not understand why a TV show. This is always my thing. Why a TV show? I can see maybe remaking the movie. I can kind of see that. But it's because the we've talked about this a lot this year. The art of editing is gone. Not as a slight to editors professionally, but there's something that's been lost in the process where movies mm-hmm. are over long and studios are like, you know what? If you're going to give me a six hour rough cut, let's just make it into something episodic. And it's often to the detriment of whatever the original story is. Right. You know, we've watched a couple of movies this year that are like 90 minutes and still can pack a punch. Uh, I don't know why mm-hmm. every film that comes out has to try to hit three hours. It's, it's very weird. Like I was surprised that Willow that's coming out is not a film. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I mean, I think the, the, streaming the gross thing, thing about it is that they can go to shareholders and be like, look at the watch time yeah, of people that are watching this. this streaming they can say it's up and up and up because it's like a bunch of miniseries. It's like, that was the big criticism of most of the uh, Marvel TV shows that have come out in the past couple of years, except for a couple of like exceptions. Most people are like, this could have been a two hour movie instead yeah. of a six hour long series. Yeah. All the Netflix ones. I mean, I tried to watch Daredevil and Jessica Jones. I don't know. Right? Those should have been 90-minute mm-hmm. films. and would have been okay. Anyways, there, there looks like there's a real eager executive somewhere that really wants to remake this property okay. at some point. So I, I'm, I'm sure we'll see something from The Secret of Nim sometime in the next few years, is my, is my guess. Or not. Projects fall through all the time. Yeah, yeah. I hope every movie made is over three hours. We haven't really mentioned her, um, like Mrs. Brisby's uh, husband, who you, ne- you never really see, but does have a pretty big impact throughout the whole film. I haven't read the book, of course. I didn't even know it was a book. But I suspect, you know, I liked this idea of her discovering um, a mm-hmm. secret legacy. I do think it's weird that she's supposed to be a normal mouse. You know, when they animate... The normal mice, they have the beady eyes and they're, you know, animals. But she's a field mouse who can read and write. It's just kind of, they make a couple of leaps. So I don't know if that's supposed to be in the book as well, or if that's just to help the fantasy narrative. I think so, because she does mention very briefly that he started to teach her how to read and write. So she knows how to read certain words. Doesn't make sense. So does that mean, and I'm sure this must be the book, because I've read the Wikipedia article on it about how... That's how it's been interpreted by a lot of critics. That one of the themes, I should say, one of the themes is how do we define intelligence? How do we, is a mouse, it could a field mouse, be taught to read and write in this way? Let's just no. say, if that yeah. was true, should we be killing them? <laughs> right? So, well, I don't know. I, mean, but I don't know if the movie ever really fully commits to that idea. You know, we're already doing the leap of faith when we anthropomorphize animals. And I know they've got that little animal cruelty thing where we're trying to question whether we should be testing pharmaceuticals Mm -hmm. on livestock and rodents and Mm -hmm. monkeys and stuff like that. But that transition to go from artificial intelligence to then going back and enlightening animals to be more human it that's a big jump i you know we, we watch a lot of animal movies where cartoon animals talk to each other in a certain thing i think that should have there there must have been a way to just keep that uh, in the mouse world kind of like you're talking about with uh clint eastwood speaking russian you know this idea of should we be hearing it in english you know etc i think you've got to stay somewhere in there you've got to make it mouse speak as opposed to them being able to suddenly understand handwritten... Cur- My son can't even read cursive writing yet. I think the book goes into much more detail about this because there's much more um, attention paid to them learning language and understanding yeah. and being able to start to write it. And, yeah, like, and, uh, if that's you have a, I think. even if it's for kids, something mechanical would be good. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I do agree fundamentally that 
it does raise those questions a little bit about these rats, of course, are at this higher intellectual level. So I think intuitively we understand that they're probably not speaking English to these field mice, but they still understand each other. What does that, what does that mean to, <laughs> to society? Like, I think that's the cool thing that there's a lot of intellectual debate you could have around this after the fact. The, the, the joke version of this is like when you look at the classic Disney characters, you have Goofy, who's a dog, but you have Pluto, who is also a dog. And that sometimes is like, whoa, 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 what is happening here? How can you have an anthropomorphized dog and an actual dog in the same scene? Isn't that kind of weird? And this kind of brings up that same question is like, obviously, this field mouse would be at a lower intellectual level than what these rats are. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Is, is, is she, should, she, should she be speaking like broken English? Should she be speaking in a different style? Well, I, think, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I think you just get away with that in our rewrite class that the... Rats have their own alien language when they address each mm. other, right? And then they have a common language. When you just have to do right. that switch over once. And then we just avoid this idea that she reads this prophecy. I mean, that's Don Bluth for sure. And that, you know, maybe they can speak, uh, quote unquote, down to her about the pulley system and about the technology that they have. Because we don't, I mean, why spend so much time in there? I don't know. I think hearing about how the book is written, even though it wouldn't make for a good kid's movie... It sounds much more fascinating to me as a story, you mm -hmm. know, someone trying to delve into uh, the well, mechanization yeah. of technology, uh, but that's pretty boring. Well, one of the big things, apparently, that the one of the main things of the book is specifically talking about advancements in technology, yeah. where there's always a give and take. There's always the advancement and like to the benefit of a species or of humankind, but there's also going to be a, cost. a negative yeah. that happens with, with each advancement of technology. And again, I don't think this movie is all that interested in that question. It's much more like, let's put this fantastical bit in here. We'll give a little bit of the science fiction a nod. But I agree. I think a, an actual adaptation of that source material would actually be far more thematically rich for me as a almost 40-year-old male. I don't know how interesting that would be for an 8-year-old It wouldn't kid. be. Yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't, it wouldn't hit home. So I think Don Bluth is correct as a children's animator. But I think it, mm -hmm. it makes this movie not as good as it could have been maybe if you're gonna do that don't do the pulley system make the whole thing magic right maybe they're chanting right, and, right, and right, we're right. just gonna lift the cinder block out but. i think i think you're right i think that that may have saved the ending to make it not feel quite so rushed or something it's like they all have to come together with their magic or something like yeah, that the amulet <laughs> like would make what... sense and you know maybe the amulet doesn't work because nobody there has the true courage and and only i also think then that the the antagonist has to be showing up way earlier in this movie yeah. than like the final 20 minutes yeah. but should have been the cat That'd have been something. Yeah, the cat dragon should he have been the main. Shows up in a tuxedo with a monocle, like ah, hey, what's me the whole a time? Cigar, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're done here. All right, the machine does say that we have to wrap things up, so let's get into critics' choice. This is the part of the show where we find out what the critics thought at the time that this film was released. Roger Ebert did review this movie. He gave it three stars out of four. Wow. And he says. Softy. He actually gives a huge write-up about the history of the Don Bluth Company in his review, which is interesting, but. The Secret of Nim is an artistic success. It looks good, moves well, and delights our eye. It is not quite such a success on the emotional level, however, because it has so many characters and involves them in so many different problems that there's nobody for the kids in the audience to strongly identify with. I guess you could say that the Disney tradition lives, but that the Disney magic still remains elusive. But that's a three-star review? The three what a out of four-star movie, softie, baby. Softy, man. 
Softy. Cisco. That's a Cisco review that I would have given a I one. I like you, Dave, though, because you're like, yeah, I kind of like this movie. Two stars. Yeah. I'm like, what wow. are you talking about? We'll talk about it soon. <laughs> okay. Pauline Kale did not review this movie. So I went on to Letterboxd this week and I found Mike D'Angelo, which I think we've talked about before, who gave it two and a half stars out of five. Just as I feared. Avoided this in first run and ever since because I loved the book. Ooh. Which despite being written for children, is a lot closer to flowers for Algernon than to the usual anthropomorphic animal, Guff. And sure enough, Who's Bluth Guff? and Company all... <laughs> and sure enough, Bluth and Company all but ignore the scientific angle, mm -hmm. condensing the entire Nim flashback, which is roughly a third of the novel, and by far the most compelling material, into a brisk three-minute montage. And then, introducing a fucking magic amulet that completely undermines the book's sober materialism. And so let's turn Jenner into a generic villain and have Dom DeLuise play the crow as sputtering comic relief. And hey, you know what we need at the climax? A big sword fight. All of which is at best mildly diverting and rarely even that. Admittedly, the animation itself is quite lovely, much richer and more detailed than what Disney was doing at the time. And I suppose it's not the movie's fault that I kept flashing on Dragon's Lair during the action sequences. There's definitely a bluth look. But I was just too appalled by the evisceration to be seduced on that level. Big words. 33 likes for that review. Mm -hmm. I like that review. Are you going to ask me what he meant by that? Because he used big words? or <laughs> I speak, now talk English. Uh, no, I, I, I'm going to be very closely aligned with our friend there. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I, I do, I, I'm going to put my foot down, like, learning about the source material and all that kind of stuff, it becomes even more obvious how short-sighted for adults putting in the magical elements were, because they just don't feel it's, well, um, it's, essential. It's a matter of commitment. Just go all the way. They had to, I guess, bring more magic into it. It can't just be, like, dressing. It has to be infused into the storytelling yes. somehow. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think it would have been relatively easy to do it if they just committed to it. Even having the Nim, the injection could have accidentally given them magical powers instead of making them super right. intelligent. Uh, it's dumb, but it's dumb good because but they could have had reason, a single, yeah. yeah, it could have had a single threat. But I, I, without even knowing this is based on a book, you can feel that. I think that's mm. a part of as well, the tension that you're probably feeling as a kid is that even as a kid, you're watching and you're like, I don't, I don't know. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with science <laughs> and magic. Off. You can't, it's hard to reconcile those two things. So we should answer the question we ask every week. Does this hold up? And is it still culturally relevant? Dave, what do you say? I, I think it's a no and a no for me. I, I mean, it holds up because it's pretty from an animation, but A, hand-drawn animation in this texture is no longer pri uh, priced. Mm -hmm. B, I think that the plot itself is too obscure. And C, like this idea of comic relief has changed so much that it, a lot of these pieces are a distraction. Like nobody's... You know, I was going to really enjoy, I don't think a modern audience will enjoy any part of this. They won't hate it. Like, I didn't hate this movie, but I don't know. What What is it about this that anyone can connect with? It is fun to know I think that it name is. is actually an acronym, but other than that. Yeah. yeah. I do think it's that texture. I think it's the look of the film that endures a little bit. So there's that kind of like a bit of nostalgia people have for it. I agree with you about the cultural relevance. I really don't think most people care bring this up again if we're talking about dom bluth films from the 80s all dogs go to heaven and land before time are going to be way above yes this we're on like the 16th or 17th sequel for the land before time so it definitely has some sort of cultural influence it's cute in the dinosaurs culture. right i mean yeah. you can't go wrong with cute dinosaurs they're like basically pre-pokemon and i think if this had true like gigantic cultural influence 
would have seen the the remake by now well, they're trying instead of getting trapped but... i do think it holds up though i'm gonna say a, a moderate yes like a very like a half sum <laughs> up it's not completely up it's not completely down it's treading like water. they're right in the middle shaking okay like i think there is it still holds up to to a degree we do need to rate this film but before we do that is what dave and i thought what do you think you can send any feedback to kyle and dave vs the machine at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter or instagram with the handle katie vstm we also release videos occasionally on our youtube channel or can so you can I? go and check us out over there if you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings that we've given you can go to our letterboxd page that's letterboxd.com slash kdvstm and if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse you can go to our patreon page there's a link in the show notes of this episode you can support for as low as a dollar per month something that you can do for absolutely free so leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts we should just stop giving the free option give us your money we need money yeah <laughs> empty your pockets <laughs> i wish i was joking yeah. <laughs> Let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, out of five, what do you think you're going to give The Secret of Nim? I, I'm going to I'm gonna agree with our uh, letterbox friend. I'm going to go with a two and a half. Um, yeah, it's a bit low, but I, I, just, I, I just didn't connect with it enough. But I didn't hate it. I wasn't offended that we watched it. If someone asked me while pressing play if they'd be wasting their time, I, I would shrug. So I think it's a two <laughs> and a half, right? Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm going to give it... A, a Kyle 2.5, which oh. is a three. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's going to be a three. <laughs> <laughs> which means I'm kind of in the middle. I was mm -hmm. like, there's parts of this that I do really enjoy, that I think do hold up, but there's a bunch of elements I'm like, oh, that doesn't really quite work for me. It's mm -hmm. a messy movie. I wouldn't be angry if someone turned this on, exactly. but I'm never rushing out to watch this. I'm not going to ever be like, this is at the top of my favorite animated movies of all oh, time God, list. No, no. I think we need to have a resurgence of rat movies. So that is going to average to 2.75. It's going to be rated down to a 2.5 on the letterbox list. But uh, do you think this is better or worse than Night Shift? Oh, man. I mean, Michael Keaton's great. But mm -hmm. I'd rather watch Michael Keaton be neurotic than watch this movie. That's a tough one. I might put it below, honestly. I interesting yeah what's the one after that losing ground is the only other one that it ties with so it's a tough one eh what this is, is tough what are you feeling i definitely would probably put it slightly above night shift but losing ground is the hard one i think losing ground has more to say mm -hmm. quote unquote but i think that secret name is the better artistic achievement so maybe we could put it between those two okay <laughs> put it underneath losing ground and, and above night shift okay sure People are going to now, of course, write in and be super mad. Well, but we did that laugh, is what... right? All right. Well, it is going to then, The Secret of Nim is going to enter into our list at the new number 18 position. Like I said, right up below Losing Ground, Middling. right above Night Shift. Okay. But we should find out what we are watching next week, Dave. I'm going to push this button. And yes, we're going to continue on with our animation kind of kids film spectacular here we're gonna watch the last unicorn another next week kids film that's probably not actually made for kids as someone who has maybe recently watched this yes <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's just funny how how defensive you were about dark crystal but i think there's a theme here kyle i don't know if uh, kids things are developed into films were actually made for kids I think the kids were watching TV, and these are actually kind of uh, in a different. No, pocket. I think it's the other way around. These were made for kids by people who didn't know what kids wanted. <laughs> Straight up. That being people said, people who didn't have um, kids actually maybe. I 
vaguely have memories of the last unicorn, yeah. but have no specifics. I I know we had the VHS at home. I know what the unicorn looks like, right? With yeah. the blonde hair. Very anime-like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of. Yeah. yeah, very 80s anime-like, but yeah. I have watched it. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, there's been nothing that's seeped into my brain yeah. to like have any memories Does of she it. Die? So. I think she dies in the end. Well, well spoiler out. alert here, folks, for right. the last unicorn. Okay, okay. I know Angela Lansbury has a voice in it. That's all I remember. Is, uh, <laughs> obviously, you know that. I look forward to, to checking it out again and, and seeing, uh, seeing where we place it. But um, want to get into the sauna? Want to try this out? No. I mean, that's, it's so gross. <laughs> yeah. It's so gross. What kind of wood did you use for this? It smells. It's just, it's not that good cedar. It's something swampy. It's, it's yeah, just... I just use the bog. <laughs> just cut out, cut out squares of the bog. It's like, it's like aerosol probiotics. It's just mold. <laughs> it's just, it's so gross in here. Inspector Gadget is an abomination.